I'm Holiday. I'm Tarrant. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Get Whoa! Over there. <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warmth? Picture it. Sicily. 1922. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all crime. I am, as always, your host, the great white snark, Scotty J, and seated virtually across from me on, on my computer is the lovely and beautiful Monica. Hi! <laughs> the enthusiasm is just overflowing today, folks. Okay, before we get into uh, today's episode, we, you know, once again, for those of us who live here in America, we had another school shooting. Uh, this one was what, Texas? Yeah, Texas was about, what do you say, with the hospital in San Antonio, it was about 40 minutes, I think. Right. Um, how many, I, I, I've been working and I was in raleigh and places this past weekend uh moving my daughter so what was the um the was it i, I keep here i keep wanting to say 12 victims but i could be wrong 19 okay it was two teachers and 17 students all fourth graders from one classroom so this was the so far the third worst school shooting in history. I, but this is something that I've noticed, um, and, and we'll, we'll get into the show, folks. Don't worry. When we were locked down during the pandemic, there was none of this going on. Because well, nobody was in school. That's why. That was like the one good thing about. Right. Now that we've opened the schools back up, now, now I think, I hate to say that there's pent up rage from people being locked in and this is going to happen, but. I'm going to go on the limb and say until we can get rid of the or, or not so much get rid of the NRA lobbyists because the NRA is having enough, having enough problems with finding out that they were taking money from Russians. Or at least like go back to what it originally was because I had a, um, a cousin that was a member until they started. Right. Um and- he left. Uh, Professor Buzzkill did a did an episode about the NRA, and that started changing around. I want to say late seventies, early eighties. So, if you want to go back and listen to that and see how all that changed, that's great. But I will say we need tougher gun law. I'm and I'm not infringing on anybody's Second Amendment rights. I just want to keep the guns away from the crazy people and. Crazy people, I also mean the uh, the militia people out there in Montana, too. We need to keep guns away from them. So, God, Remember how big that was back in the 90s? Like the mid-90s? Yeah, yeah the militia yeah. movement and uh, disgruntled postmen. Yeah, well, they said, like McVeigh actually set them back. He yeah. thought he was doing them a solid, and it's like, nope. Well, don't worry. We'll talk about Tim- Timothy McVeigh because, you know, he's he, he's one of our special ones. 
Yeah. But still the worst, like Bath Massacre. You're right. That was just 96 something years ago. Just oh, yeah. Yeah, that was because that was he used the dynamite. Right. We should do that one. That one's good. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had the point on that one. The True Crime Library website. Okay. It was big, like, uh, say 15 so years ago, maybe a little more. Right. I learned like so many different um, different cases from that website and they closed down. I was sad. Right. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to um, see if the uh, one true crime bookstore up in uh, Michigan has any books on it. Well, there's a couple. They're pretty good. Yeah, I'll look them up. Yeah, Don't worry. Them, so. <laughs> I, still, I still have a stack on the bookshelf that I need to read through to get shows going. But ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we have a good one for you today. Today... Today's a special day because this it, there's only one one subject in the world I can use his voice for. And most of you know it as my uh, hustler preacher man voice, which Monica likes. Yeah, I remember back when I was just a listener. <laughs> now doing this was it's still a little weird for me. Sorry, I can't hey, help it. You know, it's hey, I don't worry. racking up at work. Listen to that. I was like, oh my God. Well, is- well, don't don't worry. Uh, we're doing Jim Jones today, folks. This is one of my favorites. And not just because I get to use the uh the preacher man voice, but Jim is an I, I read a really interesting book. It's called Road to Um Road to Jonestown by Jeffrey Gwynn or Jeff Gwynn. Great book. I suggest you guys check it out. And it really brought a lot of insight into, into Jim and his family and his and everything. So I felt I have to before if we're going to do cults, we've got to do the poster child. We've got to do Jim Jones, get him started so we can compare all the other cult leaders to Jim Jones. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the saga of Jim Jones. Now, when you hear Jim Jones, you, you think Jonestown. You, you remember seeing the, the, the footage of over 900 people dead in the middle of the Guyanese jungle. Now, it, rea- reality sets in here, folks. Jim actually wanted to do good work. But how did, the, how did this man who wanted to you know, do, good, do good in the world suddenly become the poster child for cults? Well, we're going to start with his past, and we're, we're going to try to solve this mystery as we go along. Like Manson, the origins of Jim Jones can be stretched back to his mother, Lunette Putman. Lunette was born on April 16th, but we're not really sure if it was 1902 or 1904. You know, dates kind of fudge there a little bit. And honestly, what woman, what woman tells her real age? I just got to look for that one. Half and half on that one. On that You're one. right. Well, like, if I start to like, to not say my age, it means like, oh God, I'm really getting old. But if I, you know, say my age, it's like, God, I'm, I'm getting old. old. You're yeah. right. It, it, it's, it's the uh, double-edged sword. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like the one girl that, well, I know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I'm old enough to be her mom and it's. I don't know if I'm like younger 
like in my because I, I totally forget when we're like hanging out or she's just you know old in spirit too but <laughs> I, I got a cousin that i got a cousin that swears she's 34 years old and she's older than me so yeah how was like you know the horse and buggy back then um we actually had some with shock so we were pretty good yeah well yeah we weren't like mom pop Mom, Pa, Ingalls, but you know, we were a little higher up. Now, if you were to hear Lunette tell her story, she would tell you that she was born into a grand life, one filled with everything she could wish for. Well, guess what? Lunette suffered from delusions of grandeur because she grew up poor. She often exaggerated her life so she could seem more important than what she was truly living. Now, this, she would do this for the rest of her life. She was also a fervent believer in the theory of reincarnation. Often, she said she was a great woman in a past life, and she would be again, come hell or high water. Now, despite being born into a world where she could not be appreciated, she still believed that she would be a great woman. Now, in 1920, she married Cecil Dixon, but divorced him after two years. Now, after a year after her divorce, she married Elmer uh, Stevens. He was out hunting rabbits. But she divorced him three days later because it, it was in the middle of rabbit season and Elmer was gone. I got the eye roll. Yes. If you're wondering where both of these men ended up, we don't know. History just, they, they faded from history and we don't know. Um. If anybody has any idea where these two are currently buried, please get a hold of us on the Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs Facebook page so Monica could plan a trip to find them. <laughs> Speaking of which, but they'll come a little bit later. Because I did do a grave hunt for this. You did? Yeah, remember I told you? Oh, yeah. I thought you were looking for Elmer and Cecil. No, who cares about them? They're not even his dad. So, you know, I did. I care about Elmer and Cecil. Yeah, yeah. Like try to get people that are like with the like limited amount of time. I try to get the people that you know are like a little more connected. So right now, a year later, Lunette married again, and this time she felt that she hit the jackpot and she was moving up in the world. James Thurman Jones was born in October of 1887. Now, the Jones family was a well-to-do family in southern Indiana, which really says a lot for southern Indiana. For some reason, Jim had upset his father from the moment he was born. He was an okay student, but he had no ambition to do much in life. His brothers had become businessmen and had something to live for. James, well, he was good at fixing things, and he liked doing that. When World War I came, James enlisted in the Army. While serving in Europe, he was caught in a gas attack before he could get his mask on, causing damage to his lungs. And this happened to a lot of, lot of our boys, even the British and French in uh, World War I. Those gas attacks were, well, if you ask my kids, my gas attacks are pretty bad. But German gas attacks were pretty worse. <laughs> I found a way to work in a fart joke. I'm proud of myself. 
Now, he, he was sent home and he received a $30 a month pension, which back in the early part of the 20th century, that was, that was a lot of money. James came home and began working on road crews in southern Indiana. It was during this time that he met Lynette, or as she was named at the time, Lynette. Although he was 17 years older than her, they married on December 20th, 1926. Lynette believed that marrying into a prosperous family would give her the pampered life she deserved. Well, she was wrong. Wrong, yes, she was. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah, bummer. The Jones believed that to make it in the world, you had to work hard. James' father made a down payment on a farm in Creed, Indiana. He expected his son and daughter-in-law to work it and make it profitable. Lynette had no experience farming, and James was often away working for the road crews, so chores weren't done. And when James was home, he tired easily, so he couldn't help with any farm work. Whenever the family gathered, Lynette became jealous that her in-laws were living the life she should have been living. She lived in squalor while they had nice houses. Then something strange happened. One night, Lynette had a dream. She dreamed that she was crossing the Egyptian River of the Dead when a voice told her that it was not her time yet. She was Don't too- die. It's not your time. Does it sound like that? I'm I'm translating for the spirits right now. Okay, cool. She was to give birth to someone who would be great. She woke up and with months, within months, she was pregnant. So I guess maybe we know what was happening. Well, <laughs> she was dreaming, maybe. <laughs> right. It's probably about the only time that um that James could get you could touch her is when she was sleeping. Yeah. And back then, spousal rape wasn't on the books as a law. Uh-huh. So but that could have been the only time that he actually had strength to do something, too, you know? Uh, yeah, so. Well, yep. it's like lunch. Well, <laughs> your lady's sleeping, so I might as well get her done. Okay, I'll continue. <laughs> On May 13th, 1931, James Warren Jones was born. Since the family could not make it to the hospital, he was born in the farmhouse where his parents lived. And afterwards, she cleaned up on the kitchen table so they could have dinner. You know, that happened more often than not. I mean, well, well, in that now, but in rural, rural America. Yeah. Mom, you know, it was either in the bed or, you know, they made her comfortable in the living room. Most times it was the bed. So, and then they got new mattress, right? They they went out, they they flipped the mattress, put new straw and got some new sheets. Uh Good to go. Right. If the joy of having a new baby was not stressful enough, James snapped from the stress of his life. Oh, yeah, because it was so stressful for him. Well, it, I mean, it's also probably due to the uh, war injuries, too. Oh, well, yeah. Was included on the paperwork here. So. I forgot to put that in. I okay. knew that I would add it at this part. Okay, good. He was sent to a hospital for treatment. The family ended up losing the farm because they couldn't make the payments. Lynette, in her version of the story, said she said that she needed a roof over her son's head and she was not going to go anywhere until the bank provided a place for them. That wasn't the case. James' father stepped in and purchased a house for his son and his family. The house was in Lynn, Indiana, and he made a deal with Lynette. He would keep the payments up until James Warren was old enough to go to school. Then she had to get a job. All right, here's what we're going to do, little mischief. I'm going to keep the payments up until the little boy there, he go to school, 
And then guess what? Little Missy, you won't get your ass a jab. Okay. Yeah, I, I spent some time in the South this past weekend, so, you know. And it's showing. Yes, it is. Lynn was a typical small town in the 1930s. People went to church and mingled with their neighbors. The Jones family didn't do those things. The town accepted James because he was a veteran who got wounded for his country. Lynette wore jeans, smoked, and cursed, things women did not do at the time. Another thing that made the family stand out was that they never attended church or socialized with their neighbors. Lynette still felt she deserved a better life, so she ignored many of the women in town, and many of them believed she was snobby towards them. While living in town, James' health continued to get worse. I, I just don't know. I mean, they, they seem like a nice family and all, but they just don't go to church. I, I just don't know what to say about them. I never see them at the Baptist potluck. I never see them at the when when Father Jones is doing the the, the Easter egg hunt for the children. Yeah, my old woman voice. You like that one. Yeah, that's some sometimes fun. Depend well, it depends on the church too, though. Right. I mean, yo, I'm here in Saint Anne, small town. We've got three churches. We got a Catholic, a Presbyterian, and a Baptist. No I knew, No, no. Honestly, I'm surprised oh. we don't have any Jewish people in this town. It'd probably be one, and he's he's probably the town accountant. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, because usually, like with that, there's even just still like. You know, one synagogue, though. But Well, um, I don't know if there's one in Kankakee. I think the closest they would have to go would be like the suburbs of Chicago or Joliet. Yikes. Yeah. I I'm out in the sticks. <laughs> so all that like voice and everything's like more from experience than. Yeah. Caricature. Okay. Right. It, it's experience, it's character, it's satire. I, I could do I could do it all in one shot. He can. I, I just don't see him come to St. Anne's Day and pray at the Novena. I just don't see it. I think he worships Satan and does that cocaine. With the Coca-Cola, right? You're right. He drinks Back in the good days of Coca-Cola. Right, he drinks all that Coca-Cola. You know they put cocaine in it. So in 1936, Jim was old enough to begin school, and according to the deal that Papa gave, oh, Missy, you gotta go get yourself a jam. She gave one rule to Jimmy. Don't go in the house until I come home from work. That was the rule. So Lynette found a job at a local glass factory. Now, again, she would tell people that she was an important person there when really she was just a line worker. So, like most boys his age, he ran the streets. And many times, Jimmy would find himself hanging out at the local airfield with his friend Max, learning about airplanes and expressing a desire to learn how to fly one day. Now, he met Max because Jimmy was walking down the street. And he had a dog with him. And Max was like, well, this looks like my dog that ran away. And he talked to Jim about it. And Jim got all, you know, he was crying. He's like, you're going to steal your dog. He's like, no, no, it's fine. And he said, well, my dad works out at the air, air, excuse me, airfield. Why don't you come out? And the next weekend, Jimmy was there. 
So many of the local ladies in town would take Jimmy in and give him snacks when they saw him, with Jimmy telling them that, ma'am, your cooking is the best cooking I've ever had. Now, sometimes Jim, Jimmy had dinner with his family. And then, you know, then there's this lady across the street. Myrtle Kennedy. Now, that sounds like someone who really starts a neighborhood watch program. She's sitting in her, in her front room with the binoculars, just watching the streets, man. Myrtle knows everything. That could actually be yeah, my dog. <laughs> You're right, Stewie, man. Yeah. He's like the town watch. <laughs> Right. Uh, now, Myrtle took pity on little Jimmy, and she often fed him. Myrtle was a Nazarene, and since Jimmy didn't go to church, damn it, Myrtle found a soul to save. Lynette didn't mind Jimmy going. Hell, it was a few hours she didn't have to spend with her child. Lynette is running for Mother of the Year right now. Now, one thing Myrtle noticed, Jimmy loved scripture, just like someone else we talked about. He could memorize the scriptures. Then he would begin exploring the other churches in town. Not, not like this style. He would go to the. This would upset Myrtle. But Jimmy would tell her that he was just seeing how they differed from the Nazarene religion. So he'd start at the Nazarene church. Then maybe halfway through, he'd slip out and go over to the Catholic church. Next week, he'd hit the, you know, he'd hit all the churches in town. So with this new discovery of religion, well, Jimmy again began to discuss death, which I, I don't see the correlation there, but you know, maybe some psychiatrists would. Now, one night, Jimmy and a bunch of kids slipped into a warehouse to store caskets, and he had the kids lie in them to see what death felt like. I probably would have laid in one just to catch a nap or something, but that's me, folks. I spent too many years at a haunted house jumping out of caskets, so I don't really have a problem with them. Slowly, Jimmy began to believe that he had powers and began to hold pet funerals for the kids in town. Now, when Jimmy was 10, the United States entered World War II. As with most, most kids, and, and I can verify this, the boys often played war with each other. When I was growing up, we did G.I. Joe, but you get it. Jimmy never wanted to be one of the Allied soldiers because Jimmy had a special hero, and his hero was named Adolf Hitler. As he explained later, he liked Hitler for his ability to speak and motivate the German people. Since no one really wanted to play Nazi, Jimmy often got his younger cousins to be his soldiers. He would often whip their legs with a switch when they wouldn't march right. Now, this would upset his aunts, and they wouldn't allow his cousins to play with Jimmy. Look, you don't go over and play. That boy wants to be a Nazi. We're Americans. Pew, pew. Yes, I just sing too with the pew, pew. Right. You didn't see it, though, but it's No, true. I haven't seen it, but I, I hear enough people going, damn it, we're Americans. Pew, pew. Well, no, sing too. Yeah. Kids movie, but yeah, the yeah, you gotta say it's funny, but anyway, continue. Every time I hear pew pew now, that's all I hear. Think about I'll, I'll work continue. it into Sorry. my uh, movie rotation. One summer, 
Jimmy got to spend time with Myrtle in Richmond, Indiana, where she moved. Lynette, once again, didn't care since Jimmy would be gone and, you know, she's working for Mother of the Year right now. Well, while in Richmond, Jimmy got exposed to tent revivals, which watching the preaching, the music and showmanship that went into a tent revival. When Jimmy came back home, well, Jimmy liked to talk about sex in detail with anyone who would listen. Well, around Lynn, a rumor began to spread that Big Jim was an alcoholic, and what was happening was his health was slowly on the decline, and he was often going to Ohio for treatments from his war wounds. Well, because he got all these rumors going around a small town, Jimmy and Lynette just never really debunked them. They just let the town believe that Dad was an alcoholic. Although Dad really didn't have enough strength just to get himself to the pool hall to hang out. And also, he, Jim didn't really have the strength to lift a beer bottle, so how could he be an alcoholic? Because it don't matter how much strength in, or how frail an alcoholic looks, they've got the strength to lift, lift that bottle or can or beer glass. So although he was seen staggering into the pool hall where he hung out while Lynette was at work, Jim wasn't drinking. The gas attack was slowly taking what strength he had left, and, and that mustard gas was some strong shit back then. Jimmy was a smart child. In 1945, when he was in high school, he formed a baseball league and a team. That summer, they would travel to other towns and play other teams. The team met in his barn, and it was there where he lured a puppy over an open loft door and let it fall to the floor. The league broke up after that. I... I would too. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I love dogs. You you know, when I, when I go out and visit you, man, how, how often is Stewie with me? All the time. Right. I love Stewie. I love all dogs. I love cats. I love my lizard. I love my turtle. But if if someone's going to lure a puppy over an open loft door, I'm going to punch him out. They're going to follow that puppy. After making, you know, moving the puppy out of the way. But yeah, they're going to go, yeah, <laughs> and follow him right down the hole. So Lynette still believed she was special, even if the people around her were too dumb to realize it. She oh, had she a dream special. one night, another one, that an angel appeared to her and told her that Jimmy would grow up to be famous. It was around this time that Lynette had an affair with a coworker. Since Big Jim couldn't fulfill his marital duty, she would find someone else to satisfy her. When her husband found out, Jimmy took his mother's side in the argument. In high school, Jimmy would often wear a suit and would talk to anyone about sex and religion. This made him stand out among the students. Jimmy had no luck with women. With all that sex talk, he struck out. Uh-huh. I find that inconceivable. There was a girl he was interested in, Sarah Lou but she was the girlfriend of one of the sports players in school. Jimmy had gone so far as to show up at her house talking to her parents one night. Since Sarah was embarrassed by this, her boyfriend had a talk with Jimmy and he stopped perusing Sarah. Jimmy now, did. Now the talk probably went like this. Listen here, you little freaky shit. Sarah lose mine. If I catch you even looking at her, I will beat the stink off of you. Okay. Yeah. 
that's probably that's not would be like love to see that but yeah i'm pretty sure that's how they're nice oh i'm pretty sure that's how it went. conversation went yeah yeah i had that conversation many times i was on the receiving, receiving end. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> i was like receiving end, right yeah jimmy did date phyllis wilmore but the relationship never progressed beyond hand-holding after the relationship with phyllis ended he began to attend an apostolic church in the fall of 1948, Jimmy and his mother moved to Richmond, Indiana, where Lynette found a factory job. Jimmy began to have a social conscience for the plight of inner city African-Americans. Often, young Jimmy would find a corner in an African-American neighborhood and start a street corner pulpit. Then tragedy struck. In May of 1951, Big Jim died. Jimmy made friends in the Christian Youth Fellowship. Jimmy studied hard and graduated a semester before the rest of his class. <laughs> After graduation, he got a job at Reed Memorial Hospital. One of his jobs was to transport the bodies of the recently deceased patients to the morgue. It was during one of these times that Jim met Marceline Baldwin in late 1948. Marceline, now, if there's, ever, if there's a saint in this entire saga, it's this woman. And as we get more into Jim's story, you're going to see how much shit this woman put up with just to be married to this guy. But she noticed how much he took care of the bodies when he was transporting them, praying and comforting the family as well. Now, I can get this because, you know, Jim must have liked her because he would always find ways to be near her when they worked. to be like, hi, Marceline, how are you? Or uh, I know I'm going to say this and I'm probably going to get a look, but he probably walked up to her and went, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> Come up like Joey, you know, how you doing? My dad actually did that in high school, worked at a funeral home. He did the transport. I think one time the guy actually wasn't really dead. Oh, God, that, that scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I think you like I have to ask my mom, like the more the particulars about that and all but yeah i remember him saying that i think he could like i think he was like like the guy like sprung up and was like what are you doing you know like, <laughs> yeah uh-huh. now slowly these two began a relationship in january of 1949 jim left the hospital and entered the university of indiana at bloomington jim and marceline married on june 20th night or june 12th 1949 they lived in Bloomington during the week and in Richmond on the weekends. Now, during all this time, uh, they lived with Marceline's parents. One night, Jim got into an argument with his mother-in-law over their views about God. Jim couldn't understand how a loving God would allow such pain and misery to happen in the world. Well, Marcy smoothed things over with, with her parents, and after that, they never talked about religion in the house when Jim was there. You know, the minute they left, I can't believe that boy. I, I just don't believe it, Elmer. I, I, I don't understand how he cannot like a loving guy. I just don't understand it. You know, he was brought up Nazarene. That was the problem. <laughs> Folks, if you can see how she's looking at me as I do the old woman voice. What have I got myself into? <laughs> eh, too late now. Whatever. Well, she gets. Yeah. 
you know, she you used to sit hard work here. You did right. editing and everything. So, yeah, I'll just. You know, she she gets to sit here and get basically gets a one man show out of me during these recordings. That was his problem. He was Nazarene. You know, they're not, you know, they're not right like us Methodists are. They worship Satan. Okay, so Jim and Marcy moved out, but they did not believe in the same version of God. Now, in 1950, Marcy's nine-year-old nephew, Ronnie, moved in with them. Ronnie came from a broken home, and his mother was a drug addict. Jim would often tell Ronnie that his mother didn't want him and doted on the boy. Now, Ronnie believed that his mother did want him and turned down many offers by Jim to be adopted. While in college, Jim began to study socialism and communism, which really made him a hit in southern Indiana. That's what you're supposed to do anyway in college. I tell you, I tell you what, man, it's them damn liberals up there in them colleges. They they brainwashing our children into that communism shit. I'm, I'm telling you. Meanwhile, I'm just like right. She's just in her. She's just in her going ice cream buffet. <laughs> right. What they really don't know at college is it's the kids are trying to reenact 80s teen sex comedies, you know. Hey, I was too old, so you know, I, I was seeing somebody when I got into college. And I was also in my 40s, so I was too old for an 80s sex comedy. Why? Which is also why I'm telling James to, you know, like go to college instead of you know, like straight in the army. I'm like, no, you'll lose no. all the fun part then. Right. Yeah. Jim began to hear the Methodist preachers talking about socialism in their sermons. In 1952, Jim decided, well, I'm going to become a Methodist minister. They took an apprentice minister position at Summer, Summer's Rest or Somerset, Somerset Methodist Church in Indianapolis. When he was beginning this job, Jim once again tried to pressure Ronnie into adoption. But Ronnie said no and ran to his brother's house. Well, Jim chased him in the car. And when he, he was confronted by Ronnie's brother, he was told to leave the boy alone. Now, I'm sure the conversation went something like this. Listen here, you little four-eyed. Listen here, you little fucking freak. If you bother my brother again, I'm going to beat the stink off of you. You understand that? You heard that would. a lot. And also, how is it going to make him want to like, be adopted by him, too? Well, I mean, just, right. Just like think about that. Like he's acting like that and he wants to, I mean, wants to adopt him. What about that does he think would make him want to be adopted if he's acting like right? And, and he's also out. sitting there telling you, hey, listen, your mom's a drug addict. She don't want to, she doesn't want you. Marcy and I love Yeah. Her. I mean, even yeah. I mean, that part a little sort of like the understandable source but he's like chasing them and saying all this other stuff it's like oh yeah really i want to be adopted by you like because this is so much fun so but yeah he would go you know hey listen you know mark you're gonna break marcy's heart by not doing this you know you don't want to break her heart look at everything she's done for you yes i do Sign the papers <laughs> So after that, Jim backed off and stopped talking to Ronnie. 
Well, then Jim and Marcy adopted a young girl they named Agnes. When Jim wasn't working at Somerset, he began to preach on the evangelical circuit. Jim watched how the preachers moved and performed on the stage. Jim began performing a mind reading trick with quotes there. Right. How he performed this trick was by mingling in the crowd before the show. He would overhear different pieces of conversation. And when the time was right, he would call out the person from the pulpit and reveal their problem. He would then tell them. Okay. Preacher voice, preacher voice. I know you're waiting. I'm not, I'm sorry. I hate to say it all, but I'm I'm not going to be able to do it as good as as you did. Yeah. I just not going to but see, basically, yeah. it, basically, these guys, these basically can call an ev- on the ev- evangelical circuit. You can call most of these guys hucksters because they're they're trying to get the money from the crowd. So Jim would go through the crowd and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to use there's say he come he hides about by this group and there's a lady named Phyllis in there and she's talking about how uh, you know. I wonder where did you get that name from? Uh, right. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I want to use your mom's <laughs> name, but but I'm also thinking, you know, this is rural Indiana. So there's if there's not a Phyllis in the crowd, then, you know, it's not rural Indiana. But let's say this woman, she's having problems with, um, you know, her car or something. I'm making this shit up, so. Jim would hear this and he'd be up on the phone and go, brothers and sisters. Oh, brothers and sisters. Oh, I'm getting a message from the Lord. Oh, what? what is there a woman out here by the name of Phyllis? Phyllis, are you out here? I'm here. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And he, he brings her up to the stage and he's like, Phyllis, I understand you having a problem with your, your Ford car. I understand. What you need to do is you need to buy a Dodge. Go down to the dodge. <laughs> but, but something like that, you know, he'd, he'd okay, over here. Right. Gives her a 20 out of the pocket. Go put a down payment on a dodge. But that's what the mind treat mind reading tricks is. And then as um, as what Monica's going to explain in a little bit, the, the healings. Now, I'm not going to crap on all faith healing because I do believe that in certain situations, faith healing does work. Miracles do happen. I live right down the street from the Catholic Church in St. Anne, and we have relics of people who were healed on St. Anne's Day. I thought you were going to say you haven't, you know, like burst into flame yet, so obviously it's... Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Give me time. Well, well, my dad used to work there, so I, I've built up a tolerance to that church. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, you're not an issue then if your dad used to work there. And right. So right. Dad, dad worked there. I built up a resistance. Now, basically, how healing would work is he would put a plant in the audience, some guy on crutches, some guy in a wheelchair, and he would do this later on, and he would call them up. And they, they would always be at the head of the line, and the line was never that big to begin with. And he'd go, brother, I know, I know deep inside the Lord wants me to heal you. The Lord wants you to walk again. And then, you know, right, you see him on the TV. They're all, you know, waving and excited. And, you know, he, he somehow, sometimes they rub their hands together. Sometimes they do something. 
And then he goes, let me heal you. And then smack them on the forehead and they're healed. Heal me. Right. Now, another one, and, you know, Monica's going to explain it here in a little bit, too, is the, the, uh, the, the famous healing cancer trick. And basically what they, once again, there's a plant in the audience who, you know, he was like, oh, Reverend, I got the cancer. Can you heal me? Was, Lord, son, Lord wants me to heal you. Lord wants you to be free of this cancer. Now, now let me, let me lay my hands upon you, son. And we're going to pray, pray to the Holy Spirit. And then he would like reach into the shirt and then he would, what he's doing is he's palming chicken guts. So he pulls out the chicken guts. And he's like, I have exercised the cancer from your body. And then an assistant with Hurley. That's chicken guts. Right. I want the person out there to say, hey, man, no. But yeah, you, he's like a chicken farmer out there. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Reverend, sir, um, I don't mean to be like calling you out in front of the Lord and everything. I'm sorry, Jesus, but this man's a liar. I work around chickens and that's a gizzard. I know that. Nah, son, it's a, it's a cancer. No, no. I'm sorry, sir, but that's a gizzard. I just had one before I came to service. But th those are some of the tricks that Jim Jones would use. Or did I explain it all yep. for you? So, Yep. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I kind of, you know, kind of watching faith healers and stuff, you know, you kind of, and especially when you hear about the Andy Kaufman story. Where him and uh, Bob Zamuda went to a, a healer in India. Even Bob Zamuda said, you know, I, I saw the guy palming chicken guts. So he wasn't he wasn't doing what he said he was doing. So it's it's a little bit of magic, a little bit of showmanship, a little bit of vaudeville. BS. Or I should say a lot of BS. Oh, that's why Terry said I would have made a good faith healer. Yep. <laughs> my, my preacher name would have been Scott Cash. <laughs> Wouldn't be too obvious, right? <laughs> no. Middle name money, because that's what yeah. I accept. And here's my here's my deacon, all major credit cards. PayPal now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I'd set up an internet business where, you know, I, I do a fans only where I do special, special healings. And you can pay by the PayPal. Okay, so we can, okay, he would then tell them that God heard their prayers and would help them. Jim would also perform the healings during these revivals. So, so now yeah, that yeah. we've gone over that a whole bunch. So right. at first, they were not as elaborate as they would be later. Right. Maybe he would have a person get up from a wheelchair and take a couple of steps. The crowd would cheer. In later revivals, Jim would plant people who were in on the scam. He would call upon them and heal them or claim he could heal cancer, but he would use the chicken guts and pass them off as the cancer he removed. It's funny how all different types of cancer look exactly like the guts. same as chicken guts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just went to the Baba or the, the, the not the Baba, the, uh, the butcher the other day. And uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Preacher Man, but um, 
he had a whole tub of cancer for sale and it was called chicken gizzards. I fried some up and had it for dinner. It was good. And you're giving it away for free here. <laughs> right. Um, he, he, you actually a better deal because you're giving away for free. He wanted 29 cents a pound for chicken gizzards. After being limited by his duties at Somerset, Jim left to form his own church. In 1954, he opened a storefront church called Community Unity. Jim focused his church on the African-American community, where he hoped to offer something different. One service, he asked the congregation if they had any problems. One congregant said she had problems with the light company. Jim got a piece of paper and began writing a letter. The letter was mailed, and the next week, the congregant said her problem was fixed. In the early days, money was a problem. Now, I guess mo money, mo problems, so he forgot uh, that. Uh, Mr. Mr. Preacher Man, sir, um, we broke. We just poor farmers. Since new people were not coming in, Jim went back to the revival circuit. Hey, Jim you go back where the bread and butter is, man. Yep. Jim could draw the people in, but he couldn't politicize them. Jim tried to affiliate his church with the Quakers through Terry Haldman, but the Quakers turned him down. Since Jim was a major draw on the evangelical circuit, he turned down offers to go global. On the circuit, Jim met the pastor at the Laurel Street Tabernacle. They were impressed by Jim's style and asked him to guest preach a couple of times. When they asked Jim to take over the church, he thought he could add his congregation to theirs. But when he arrived with his congregation, they turned down the offer. The church wanted Jim, not his black congregation. Jim cut off ties with the church. Jim's congregation grew slowly. At Community Unity, Jim began using plants for his healings. With the congregation growing, Jim needed a bigger place. He went back on the revival circuit and raised $50,000 to buy an old Jewish temple in Indianapolis. Since the word temple was carved into the building, Jim decided to call the place People's Temple. Um, sir, we, we want you to be the preacher, but um, there are certain people that you have in your congregation that we, we just cannot have in our church. Our church is for um, white people only. See ya! When I, my mom and I were in Indianapolis for the first crime con. Yeah. And I didn't realize how close that church was. Oh, wow. Until, until I had, um, came home. of course, when, when I got back, you know, and that's a plane ride. So even more annoying Right. that we were so close. Cause I had, um, a thousand lives. I had gotten that book at the, um, okay. at the hotel, you know, gift shop. Yeah. And I was reading in the picture and I was just like, son of a, because I didn't realize like how close we could have gone to it and seen it because it's actually, it's still a church. Right. And um, I was just like, oh my God, I am so annoyed because that would have been awesome seeing like where it all sort of like began. And right. It, it would be years interesting later, to see it. What? It would be interesting to see it. Yeah. Um, and you're so close. I could, uh, I think Indy's like a two hour drive for me. Yeah, I needed like a teeth grinding added sound on here. You know, like, um, but, oh man, I was like so bummed out. And I was oh, like, oh, 
Why? Why didn't I? Look? I'll see if I can get a, a Saturday where I don't have anything planned. Well, or July, I can send you with Bo. Right. Now here, I'll hand, I'll give you Bo, and then you can like mail him back to me, so I can um, for, you know, places he's been. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'll find it. I think they even had the address or something in the book, but I was. Um, I know. I mean, to me, you know, this early period of Jim, you you can kind of start seeing seeing some of the some of what he does later form. Yeah, because well, just like and then just during that, because for all the times I've been to California, I've never been. Up in like the San oh, Francisco where, area. Oh, where he had the the temples in um, uh, Ojai. Yeah. yeah, is it Ojai Valley? I can't. Yeah, I think, but more for like where the mask. Oh, spoiler alert! If you're like, if you need a spoiler alert for this, you're listening to like, <laughs> the wrong one. Oh. Um. Um. Well, the, it, I, he had a place in San Francisco. He had a place in Los Angeles. He had, oh, Redwood Valley. That's the place. He had the three in Redwood Valley, but Redwood Valley, he was sharing with a, um, with another church. Yeah. So. I'm going to kill this kid. I swear to God. I guess I shouldn't put that in my Um, I am slightly annoyed at him. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I always find it like, I always find their origins more interesting because I, I can find something or start seeing something in their origins that comes out later on in their life. Hey, yeah, it's been a while since like I, because I have a couple of the books. I've read a few of them, but don't like I only own a couple. Right, and I mean, right, I like, like I like different authors' take on the subject too. Yeah, like. Reading, yeah, the different ones, right. and then um, what well, I think oh the one that took oh god, now I'm like all like concentrating what happened, but right, um, I know I got a the one survivor. I think she was actually wasn't there, but um, in Guyana, I read her book. Okay. I gotta find I gotta find um okay. Okay, yeah, Leo Ryan's um his assistant. Yes, Leo. Well not only uh Jackie Spear. I read her book too. Okay. Yes, I mean I mean, there's been a ton, not, not quite as many as with Manson, but there's been right a ton of books. Oh, I'll make this announcement now, but I'll I'll put it onto the Facebook page. We are on iHeartRadio and the Podchaser app. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just got the notifications this week that we're on there. And I'm hearing this first too. Okay, whatever. I know where I rank on here. I, I meant to send you, but it's been a. That's <laughs> yeah, cool. We can no. get on iTunes. I want to know, though. So Right. And I'm still working on that one. Yeah, but like, I've 
Yeah, I really want to go see the mass grapefruit, you know. Okay, so that's the ones that they brought back from Guyana. Yeah, uh-huh. And then okay. the, the families either, like, because they didn't have any family or the families didn't want to. Or disowned them. Yeah. But yeah, actually, yeah. it was um, another personal story tying in with the True Crime Library. I was reading the Jim Jones on there one time, you know, in college in one of the computer labs. Kid next to me was talking to somebody else, saw what I was reading, and not even to me, which I'm like, uh, you could have mentioned it, but one of his neighbor's daughter died there. Oh, wow. So, obviously, don't name and all, but... Check our website for the new game, Six Degrees of a Serial Killer, where you pick yep. a serial killer and you try to link them in Six Degrees. Yeah, we'll work on that later. But and also, right. I have Robert Brown that I spent like 20 minutes waiting for a location at um, Holy Cross, the videographer mm-hmm. that was killed there. He's, I probably, I should have like measured it that day and all, but he's probably about actually 10 yards from Sharon Tate. Nice. I mean, they're like so close to each other. So I was like, it was funny because I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I, like, I didn't see him like the other times I was there. And I find out like where he is and I see exactly where he is. I'm like, how many times did I walk over this guy? And I didn't realize who it was. Like basically since I was 11. Right. Okay, we're going to wrap up uh, part one of Jim Jones. I hope you guys are liking the fact that we've broken these up into different parts so we're not bombarding you with everything at once. Trying to keep the, you know, the chit-chat to the end. Right, but but it's also that that we're not trying to bombard them with everything and their heads explode like scanners. Oh, yeah, and they look at the time and say, like, three hours. Like, time for that. What? Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't no one got time for that. Right. But uh, if you're looking, well, now that we're on iHeartRadio and Podchaser, we're also on Podbean and CastBox and Player FM. Still working on iTunes. Please, iTunes, accept us. <laughs> right. We're just a poor, humble. I'm sorry, sir. We're just a poor, humble little podcast. We wants to be on your your big platform so we can reach more people. God bless us, everyone. Okay. Too oh, early, too early in the season to do Tiny Tim. Yeah, like I'm up here, like sweating from, <laughs> and I want to open window or the air conditioning. You know, it's like. Right, but it's too cool for air conditioning. But like, I want to open up and get the noise from outside. Right, but it it was an appropriate mark. So, for killers, cults, and nut jobs, I am Scotty J. Say good night, Monica. Good night, Monica. This concludes our broadcast day. Good night, and God bless.